Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Stella Giannotto, I'm very, very excited to have you on the She's the Boss Chats podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to do an interview. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. So let's start off with what is it that you do um, and, yeah, why do you do it? So just tell us around what you're actually doing now. Okay, so I'm a branding expert that is moved into consumer futurism. And so most people know what a brand is, but not many people know what a brand can actually do for business. So for the last 25 years, I've built brands, whether they're personal or business or retail. And at the start of this year, we decided to specialise only in retail brands. And given the pandemic and a complete industry that's been wiped out (laughs) virtually, is no better time to sort of reimagine what brands can do in the retail space. So I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not predicting anything. I'm literally looking at trends and data and technology and merging all of that into a communications plan and uh, a plan to move forward for retail brands. So that's so why retail. Why did that capture your attention? Probably because we've had the most um, experience in that area, but also too, I love retail. It's, I guess it's just a sector, you know, I I love fashion, I love fast moving consumer goods. It's something I have a personal interest in, but also too, coming from that perspective where I've got a foot on both sides of the camp. Yes, I'm at the back end on the, the, the business side, looking at the brand from a professional perspective, but also too, as a consumer that consumes and consumes often there's so much that is lacking in the consumer experience that we've yet to touch on and right now all of that is going to come back into play given the growth that we will eventually see ahead once we correct ourselves during this time period so for me it's an exciting change yeah really exciting so you're still going to be so I don't think we mentioned your agency is brand for brands is that going to be the name or are you moving into something that's going to be retaily oriented (laughs) no it'll still be the brand for brands and um, the agency itself will still focus on uh, traditional branding such as industry brands and professional services brands as well as retail and fast-moving consumer goods I'm actually building my personal brand as a consumer futurist as sort of a, a step away as something else as another arm Love and my it. sister will take over as CEO from Brand for Brands and move it fully into the digital space. Oh, I love it. Now, before we started, and because we should, I should be honest with everyone, you and I know each other because you did my PR course a whole, whole ages ago. I was really <laughs> interested before we came on to this chat, we were talking about the fact that you wrote an article about what would happen. So for anyone that's listening, we're now, I'm in Melbourne in the lockdown, you're in, in Sydney and not locked down, but it is um, mid-August in the pandemic year. <laughs> so I know that you wrote an article about how COVID was going to be affecting retail right at the very beginning when we got locked down in March. Yeah. And then you just mentioned, tell everyone the number of articles that you've had published. So back in May, I wrote an article and I said, it was an oh, article mate. basically on did COVID not disrupt retail business as we know it and two months on that one article which was a thought leadership article I mean I put in some facts and so forth it got republished 16 times so 16 different outlets from everything from marketing mag rag trader retail business right through to independent blogs and websites and I just thought to myself 
wow, that was kind of a, a test. It hit a nerve there. It hit a nerve. Yeah. It was a test PR media release, not one I would normally write on. And I thought, let's just give it a go. And it actually got picked up and went like wildfire. And I've written a series art of since. Um, yeah, right. And is that part of the reason why you decided to pivot into retail when there is such a need and there was so much interest in what in your insights? Partially, yes, because that was my social proof. I'd already had an inkling, yeah. but I couldn't exactly extrapolate data from anywhere. So I thought, oh, I'll just give it a go, thinking someone might pick it up. And if not, worst case, I'll just put it on my LinkedIn profile as an article. I did not expect it to get the momentum that it did. Um, and Amazing. out of that... I mean, it's so- it's just such validation that you're, you're heading in the right direction, I think. So let's, let's go back to Brand for Brands because that's the agency that you've got. Why did you set it up in the first place? Well, originally Brand for Brands was started as um, a business just named after myself, not long right. after I um, left uh, uni, actually. And it was just a right. side hustle. I was... Oh, so you've had it for a long, long time. Yes. Well, I don't want to say that you're not a child, but... No, but I look good for my age. <laughs> you look fabulous for your age. But so, so how long have you had Brand for Brands? So the Brand for Brands, the business as a whole, I've actually yeah. had for 23 years. Wow. And I've been in branding for 25 Wow. Just for anyone that's listening, thinking about, you know, should I set up a business and that, you know, the first three years are critical. I think 23 or 25 years is amazing. Mm. So sorry, I interrupted you. So what, yeah, you were saying why you actually set it up in the first place. So I set it up as a a bit of a side hustle, really. I was working full time as a designer because when I left uni, I did um, a visual communications degree where I studied both design and photography and photography was on the verge of going digital at that stage. So when I left uni, there were no jobs for photography photographers because newspapers weren't hiring and they were going through a massive transition themselves. So I thought I'll just do a job as a graphic designer for a little while and then it just started from there and I thought to myself I kept working for these organisations that I thought were inept and I started doing all this side work, these side hustles and and you know logo packages that I was working for an agency and they were charging 50, 60, 100,000 for these branding packages and I was selling them for a few thousand dollars for startups right. And it just went on from there. I got one and two and then I got so many that I was busy working, you know, 70, 80 hour weeks. And then I thought, well, I'm going to have to switch. And then I was freelancing for a while and then just went on from there. And before you knew it, you know, two years in, I'd already had staff and we we were growing. We were on. Amazing. So was there a light bulb moment when you decided to go out on your own? I know for me, when I worked at agencies and I was being charged out at 250 bucks an hour, I did have that moment where I went, I think that money would be much better in my pocket rather than theirs. And I I did. And I remember it well. I was on a bus coming home from Surrey Hills back in the 90s, where you didn't leave Surrey Hills after 6pm because it was really a little bit of a shonky place to be. And I was coming home at five in the morning. I was catching the bus home. I had pulled another all-nighter, which was quite regular for us to do. Right. All because one of the creative directors went out on the piss and forgot to do something. And and we had this pitch the night before to get ready. They'd had it for weeks. And I just thought, this is rubbish. You know, yep. I'm, I'm only earning X amount of dollars. I could do this for myself and do a much better job. And so I waited for a few months. I put some money aside in the bank and thought, yep, I'm going to save all this money and buy all this equipment. And then I think it was three or four all-nighters later, I had 670-something dollars in the bank and went bugger it, registered the business and said, I'm on. Yep, great. I love hearing those stories. And no regrets, obviously, 23 years later. So let's talk a little, let's go right the way back to finishing school. 
because I imagine at that stage you didn't say I want to be a consumer futurist. So tell me about your entrepreneurial journey and sort of what's happened and how you've ended up where you are now. Well, I think my entrepreneurial journey sort of started as a kid, but I didn't kind of recognize it as that. You know, I was always doing something to earn extra pocket money. You know, I was the child of immigrant parents. English was not yep. my first language at home. And oh, I, saw, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I learned English at school. And I saw the right. way that my parents and grandparents hustled and how they used community and how they bartered and networked just to get stuff done, right? And yep. so, you know, my dad was always like, money is so easy to come by. It's common. If you want it, you just work harder and you get it yourself. So, you know, I would do things like I would cash, uh, I would collect aluminium cans and crush them in and get, you know, money to go to the Easter show. Or every time there was a lamington and a cookie drive, I would, you know, rub out the price and put an extra 50 cents on per pack and <laughs> sell the cash. An entrepreneur from birth. <laughs> you know, I would do things like I remember once I was in high school and, and Bross came out to visit Australia and I'd managed to happen to be at the Queen Victoria building right as their entourage pulled up and they signed my program and the pen and I remember selling that pen at high school for a nice sum of money and that signed program just to get some extra cash so I think it was inbred from Ooh, you're clever. <laughs> and anyway so I guess when I left school you know my parents and my family were a little bit disappointed when I said I was going into my own business they said you know you'll go broke everything that's ever happened to anybody they said will happen to you, you know, and then it was, can you stop this nonsense and just get a real job? Yeah, so not a lot of support at that time. <laughs> not a lot of support. And I guess it kind of fueled my drive to say, well, I'm, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. And I mean, it hasn't been a smooth sailing journey. But yeah, I think, I think learning from migrant parents, how they hustled and how they found a bit here and a bit there and, you know, they sold stuff and they made stuff and they repurposed stuff. I think that was just a really good apprenticeship to help me get to where I am today. Yeah, absolutely. But tell me a bit more about the actual journey because you ran your career. So, so you tell me about what happened. So, you started your agency. I know you've had children yeah, so along the way. so I started my agency. Tell and me really a little bit about. Doing. Have you always worked for yourself? So I always worked for myself. Uh, well, I did actually have a couple of jobs working full-time for some other people whilst I started yeah. a business. It was a side hustle. It was just a home business. And, you know, we really started out doing some artwork and business cards for printers who had overflow work. That's how I started. Right. Then I picked up doing some freelance work. And then I realized at one of the larger agencies that I was working at, I sort of diluted their big, you know, five-figure packages into small packages for startup business. That really right. set my business up. So doing these packages for startups, giving them logo or website, some printed marketing material and ad here and there okay. really grew my business. So it was only within probably 18 months that I started hiring staff and I grew I grew to a reasonably sized business. We had eight full-time staff, four part-time staff. I had bought an apartment in Melbourne because we were looking to expand to Melbourne because we were getting a lot of work from there. And... Um, then I got divorced and my, my ex-husband was my business partner right. and I pretty much lost oh all my, my assets. Oh, my God, Stella. All my right, assets. So how did, you, how did you extricate yourself out of that one then? It was challenging and it was a couple of year process. And in addition to that, I mean, some good has come out of it, obviously. Yeah, of course. In, in addition to that, I lost my assets. I was publicly humiliated. I was bullied out of networking groups because of the way we had structured our affairs. I was the oh, root of gossip. Stella. 
Um, and starting back up is really hard when you've sort of come from that. If it wasn't for my family at this point stepping in and my sister, who was an employee at the time, coming back to say, look, you know, you've had this business, I think we were 10, 12 years at that stage. You've built up a reputation for yourself. I had a lawyer at the time that said, doesn't really matter what you call yourself, Stella, you could call yourself Acme ABC Branding, but people do business with people and you've got that relationship with people. So you may as well keep going. And it was my family that said, right, well, let's let's go. Let's start back up wow, again. Wow, so big turnaround from big, the first time. Big turnaround and, and, you know, let's call yourself something else and let's learn from the mistakes and let's go. But at that stage, I really didn't want to do that. In addition to that, what was making matters a bit worse? And I actually had gone on this, you know, um, self-improvement uh, bent. I wanted to lose yeah. weight because I thought I'm unhappy in my life. And so I did lose weight. I ended up losing 40 kilos and keeping it off Good for like God. seven years until I had a baby. But it wow. was interesting that, you know, you'd think that losing all your assets and everything was the most scariest thing you've ever done. It was. And mind you, I lost the business twice after that. First time from, you know, ex, ex partners and what have you. And the second time from, from debt. And that is a really humbling experience, right? If yep. you want a, a true lesson in entrepreneurialism, don't study it at university. Start it up, fail it, and then start it back up again. And that'll give oh, you yeah. all the grooming that you need. And so it was hard because it challenges you physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, of course. You know, you lose friends, you lose relationships. Well, you lose a lot of confidence as well. So you, you just sort of time. like... If I do this again, is you know, are people going to come after me? Is it going to be a disaster? Do I can I face a second disaster? All those sorts of things. Yeah, it's true. I felt like a failure for a long, long time, and I felt like how I describe it as a second-class citizen. I just thought I was no good. I thought I'm middle-aged. I thought I'm that damaged. That is such a be beautiful thing to share because a lot of women feel like that, and they shouldn't. And now looking back, you know you shouldn't have. But it's so hard at the time to believe that you can pick yourself up and keep going. And it's so empowering when you do. It, it is. And the thing is, we don't, you know, women don't do enough of picking each other up. I think we're too no. scared to say something because we think that society is going to tar us with a brush of or label us somehow, which is exactly what I did. And, and you know, that kind of grief strickens you. I know that I was kind of in that state for a couple of years before my family sort of yeah, said... Yeah, I always call it being frozen, but you yeah. just don't know what to do, so you do nothing. You do nothing <laughs> and, and that just perpetuates the problem, That's right? That's right. So, you know, when you've got a good core group of people around you, whether it's family or supporters or friends or trusted people, and they say, you know what, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and let's just keep on going and reinvent yourself, I think that in itself is empowering. Even if I didn't, didn't you know, do what I was doing now, it was still just good to get out of that. And of course, you know, I managed to do the things I, I didn't get to do. I travelled to many places around the world in a couple of year period. I met an amazing man. We had a baby. I was in my 40s when they said, oh, you can't have a child naturally. I feel pregnant naturally. <laughs> All would... the things everyone said, you can't do or well, you're I not know, allowed to do. Well, I know one of the things I'd say you about you. Are? Well, yeah, one of the things I would say about you is nobody keeps baby in the corner. Like, don't even think about telling you you can't be done because it will get done. <laughs> yeah, it's a good colour on me, I've got to say. <laughs> so how did you pick yourself up? So you had the baby. How did that affect the business? Um, the baby hit me hard as well, I guess because, um, and it wasn't so much that... Because you'd always been a career woman as well. So I had always been... So stopping and becoming a mum is hard. 
it was very hard and it was very challenging mentally. It, not only that, but the loss of dignity that a mum goes through, a first-time mum, you know, <laughs> yes. a loss of uh, just not even so much being in control, but you're the one calling the shots and you're the one determining schedules and you're the one making decisions to completely uh, surrendering to that, to this crying little meatloaf, you know. I know, and go, am I making the right decision? Because you, when it's your own business, you go, nah, that's fine, I'll stick to my guns, I know what I'm doing. Yep. When a baby comes along and you're going, am I doing the wrong thing? Am I going to kill it? Oh, the, every it challenged me. But when I, yeah. w- one of the things that I did to get through it was I journaled a lot. And I had a lot of um, time out, a lot of meditation where normal routines with the baby feeding, the baby washing the baby, I just use as a meditative state because I knew that it had to be done. And where for a long time I had to change my mindset because I'm like, oh, my God, this child was the wrong time to have. It's just put a a dent in my career. I'm so slow. I'm so behind. Whereas the reality was... For me, I look at it as a child has now given me another level of grounding, Mm -hmm. another level. It's given me another apprenticeship to prepare me for what's to come. And that's how I've looked at it. Absolutely. So after the baby, did you continue with the agency through the pregnancy and the early years of the baby or what did you do along for that? We did. So my sister kind of took the reins at that point. We had um, a lot of difficulty at that stage because I was living out of Sydney. I'd moved to the Hunter Valley just for a sea change and we didn't have the right structures in place to allow me to work remotely. And so I found myself, I think, three or four weeks after the baby was born on a train from the Hunter Valley back down to Sydney every week for a couple of days a week just to be client facing. Now that was a really good lesson in itself in that we thought we had really robust procedures. We thought we had a really robust system and a baby just threw it all out of the water. So it was good because it made us fortify the business to another level again. So, you know, nobody was replaceable, nobody's irreplaceable rather. And, um, you know, we were able to sort of uh, work in the worst period possible and we readjusted all of our numbers based on that period. So literally assuming that every day is a financial crisis, that's how we based our numbers and it served us very well. And now you and your sister run the agency together, which is great. I mean, are are there any learnings about being in business with your sister? Well, you know, if you ask my sister, she'll say that (laughs) she's always told never to work with family and animals and she's worked with both. She was a vet nurse before she came on board with me. So complete different um, career paths. Look, we're a good good marriage. We're a happy union. One's left brain, one's right brain. One is all technical, digital and scientific. The other one is creative, big picture thinking, strategy. So we work well. One thing thing I do have to say with working with family is we we have a rules of engagement. So we have a, a rule book, a list, what we do do, what we don't do, what we will talk about in the office and what we won't, and what we will talk about over dinner and family time and what we won't. And if it doesn't fit that, then we take it offline. And that, is a, well. that is a really good idea. I love that idea. For anyone else that's thinking about doing it with family, the least you want to do is sort of set some rules in place because you don't want to have a slap bang, you know, sibling kind of argument in the middle of the office. Oh, no, we've had some spectacular about... spats, let me you? tell you. Two Italian girls as well. <laughs> Two Italians. Whoa, could you imagine? 
<laughs> but you get through it. All right. So um, I'm so excited for you with your business consumerism as, as well. I think that that's really spot on exactly what we need at the moment. Now, let's talk a little bit about your business journey yep. along the way. And I only really do this because this is She's the Boss. It's all about empowering other women. I like to ask, are there any key women who've helped you along the way? And if so, how did they help you? And if not, you don't have to mention it. There there are a couple, but, you know, um, Jules, I was actually challenged to think about who they were because primarily there have been a lot of men. And it was natural for a woman in business to go to an older male mentor who had grey hair and who had experience and who was wiser and what have you. For the record, I have to say that the majority of men that I have worked with have done nothing more than stuff up my business. It's cost me more (laughs) money in their fee than running on A, gut instinct, B, grit, and C, just that female get up and go, right? That has served me far better. So thinking about it, there were three women that were instrumental at different stages of my life. In business... There was a woman, she was the 26th richest woman in the country, amazing businesses, you know, 30, 40 million dollar businesses in a particular industry. She was amazing. She taught me a lot about business and a lot about life. She taught me about sales and negotiation. She was hardcore. You know, she was also a migrant. And I learned a lot about business in general from her. And it didn't matter what kind of business, it was just the art of business. Um, she was amazing, amazing. And she would take me to these dinners that cost like a thousand dollars a plate and she'd pick up the tab and she'd mingle and So hobnob. why though? How did you even meet her? What, 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 how did that even come about? I met her because I had a supplier who was dealing with her and couldn't deal with her because they thought she was too challenging and said, here, you might like to have a go at it. And we hit it off right. straight away. She so said, she started off as a client. So she started off as a client and she was a client for a number of years, probably eight or so years. All right. Then she took a break. And yep. then um, some years ago, I get a, a phone call from her PA saying, Stella must come into her office. She's the only person that can resolve this because she brought on board an internal marketing team, which had stuffed up her marketing yep. and I had to resolve it. So that's how I reestablished contact with her. But she was amazing. Right. She was instrumental. Wow. And what are, what are the other two? So the other two was one that was early on that influenced, I think, my love of fashion and retail. And she was um, my friend's mum. She was a, a single yep. mum. She had no partner and she was raising two beautiful girls. And she was a socialite before being a socialite was a thing. She had an right. amazing life. But what I learned from her is I learned the hustle and the art of influence and the art of presentation, just how she dressed, what she drove, how she spoke. She didn't have $2 in a bank account, I can tell you firsthand, because her daughter and I were besties and her daughter yeah. and I used to hustle, right? We used to do things like we would hold parties, underage parties, selling alcohol and we'd tip half the alcohol out and water it down with food colouring and sell it <laughs> like bootleggers, oh, right? Yeah. And, and so I learn about um, perception is reality from her. So she was really yeah. instrumental in my life. Um, so that fake it till you make it, that kind, of, that kind of attitude, doesn't matter. Just look the part, feel the part, and, the, and it will come. And show up. She said half the time she gets the opportunities that she got was because she showed up. And she kept on showing up. And that in itself is, you know, winning half the battle. And I, 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 you know, to this day, I think to myself, 
you know, if I don't know what to do or how to prepare for a presentation or even how to manage a situation, I think back to my friend's mum. Now, how would she do it? What would she do? And it's that right. one has actually served me really, really well. Um, and the other one, interestingly, you know, we underestimate as women, you know, the sports and the hobbies that we have at kids, how much we learn skill sets that really set us yep. up for life. So I did dance for over 10 years. And before I became a designer, I wanted to be a dancer. It was obviously right. not in my career path. but I. What kind of dancing? Well, I was doing ballet, tap and jazz. And so I just right. wanted to be a general dance teacher and do right. some basic choreography and, you know, run a dance school. It wasn't, wasn't anything, you know, or some professional dance here and there. And so I'd, I had gone through all the way through to my teaching grades and then stopped. Now, interestingly, you know, uh, I got into a different uni course and things started happening at that stage. I had met then my uh, what was going to become my my husband. But my dance teacher taught me about discipline. She taught me about work. She taught me about the value of understanding who you are and how you can express yourself and that there's there's nothing to be ashamed of but mostly she taught me about discipline and hard work you know she taught me that there are no shortcuts in life you know that a shortcut is the longest distance between two points in dance you've got to do the progressions otherwise you can't just jump and expect to to be able to do the more advanced bits as she said you've got to do the progressions and the basics so much so that they become second nature to you so that one day you'll just hit this tipping point and all of a sudden you can do it it'll all happen it'll and all it sounds happen. to me like it's all starting to happen now but the, what great women to to have instilled in you those those um skills i guess and and that role modeling yes love yes. it love it love it so along the way in your entrepreneurial journey have there been some challenges that have really tested you but have you've learned from well i can tell that there have been loads are there <laughs> any that specifically stand out that we could maybe share with other listeners um, to avoid them making mistakes perhaps? Yeah, probably the most challenging one has been um, cash flow and the management yeah. of cash flow. Now, I know that you can get expert advice over it and what have you, but the reality is, and, and I have this theory and I, I tell it to, my, you know, my, to my, my staff and people that work for us, and I say, take care of business before your business takes care of you because you might not like where it takes you. So one right. of the biggest things that I would probably say is you need to manage your cash flow and you need to assume the worst. Yes, you need to have a cash reserve. You cannot rely on credit and banks um, because at the end of the day, the piper will come calling and they'll want to be repaid. So there's yeah. nothing more gratifying, nothing more satisfying than you hustling to get the money, funding your growth through your own cash flow and making sure that you've got enough away for a rainy day because that is really in itself um, so freeing there are so many there are so many decisions that I make now having been self-funded than when we had a line of credit and you know um, uh, lines of credit secured against properties and we had multiple properties in play and then you know credit cards and what having I, I felt like half the time we were doing the credit card shuffle we'd pay for yeah, this right. and do that and what have you you know it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy it's a rat race you never get out over but the decision making process of when I owed money that way versus when you're self-funded it puts you in a different realm all of a sudden you don't necessarily have to run the same race everyone else is running you can afford to say no and you yeah. can afford to make decisions to say well you know what I'm willing to put you know x amount a thousand on red 
35 and if it comes up great and if it doesn't I pissed that money against the wall and I'm to blame. I don't have to answer to anybody else. And Yes, and I had allocated it to be able to do that Correct. in the first place. That's that in really itself big, yes. is empowering, really empowering. But if anything, yes, there's been challenges with staff and there's been challenges with timing and self, challenges with technology, industry disruptions, economic disruptions. That's all by the by. I think that's all just part of entrepreneurialism. But the biggest make or break has been learning to self-fund and learning to manage your own cash flow yeah great advice great advice um okay now you're a mum you own a business I think you've moved back to Sydney now so you don't have to do that big long trek but how are you juggling work and life because I know you have a massive passion for what you do as well um so is there um is there a, a line in the sand that you go okay evenings and weekends are about the kids or how do you juggle that time to be able to have a life and a, and a relationship as well as your work and your relationship with your <laughs> sister and your parents yes so needless to say you know the circus act of the plate spinners there's like seven yes. or eight <laughs> spinning at once and you've got to make sure they don't drop that's kind of my life i don't have balance there's no such thing. I have right. integration. So I make it all fit in. And it might not be sexy and it's not glamorous, but it works. And so yeah. um, unfortunately with business today, it's not like, oh, it's Monday to Friday. That's when I do business. Because I used to have this theory that S days belong to Stella. They're the days I don't work. Right. Can't exactly have that. So I, I generally block my time and that works really well. So, you know, Wednesday to Friday is I work on the business and then within that I've got time to do social and time to do PR and time for client management and what have you. And I block it all up that way. Um, and I reserve certain times on the weekend for family and I block it out that way. That's how I manage to get through things. I use a hell of a lot of technology and a lot of apps just to get me through. Um, and I'll do a lot of things on the fly. So things like I'm writing a book at the moment, I've got the manuscript in my bag. Whenever I have a thought, I literally jot it down old school or I'll do an audio memo and then I do that. So I'm big on the compounding effect. You know, 1% here, 1% there compounds over time. So it's not sexy and it's not glamorous, but that's just how I power through things. I chunk it down, I do a bit at a time. You know, even if it's only an hour a day, it's 4% of your day. Everyone can find an hour. Just don't watch Netflix, right? You've got an hour back. So that's how I do it. I integrate and make it all fit in. And sometimes I've got all the plates spinning and sometimes half of them are smashed on the floor. But that's the excitement of life. (laughs) Well, that's just being human. (laughs) But it is. It's Well, I mean, I would say for any entrepreneur, there's a lot of plates spinning. And I know uh, myself at the moment that as well. It's funny, isn't it, that this... Um, if we talk about the lockdown and the the whole pandemic, it, I was talking to my accountant the other day and saying, wow, things have just taken off for me. And he said, it's become really clear through this period that there seems to be one or the other. It's black and white, like either you're doing really well or you're in dire straits. There don't seem to be a lot of people that are just coasting along as they were. No. But I guess this, it's just such a unimaginable major disruption to everything really yes well as i wrote in an article that was published that we talked about i actually (laughs) said that covid19 has actually sanitized a lot of industries and i literally wrote it like that you know we needed what do you mean well what i mean by that is you know we needed to reset some industries um and not for some have been reset not for good but other industries needed to be um uh, reimagined, thought of again, uh, set back a little bit so that we can go back to proper values and go back to proper customer experience and go back to what it really means to be in business. 
um, you know, this kind of bullish run that we've had for so long. I mean, the bubble was going to burst eventually at some point and it just took a pandemic to do it, to sort of reset the world. But the other thing too is I look at it as it's an exciting time. I mean, the last time we had a, a um, an economic upset was the GFC and out of the GFC was born, you know, um, concepts such as Uber and Airbnb and we know where they're, those businesses are at today. Absolutely. So, and even my business, my business Handle Your Own PR was created in the last GFC. Of course. When all the PR course. clients couldn't afford PR. So you're right. It's, a, it's definitely a time of innovation and opportunity as well as reimagining things and re relooking at things. Okay, now we get the fun bit and I loved it that you say you love apps because so do I. I'm obsessed with them. So, let's talk about apps. So, what are the two most useful apps on your phone for business? So, the most useful ones which are not sexy is uh audio memos actually. <laughs> oh, really? I use yeah, I thought you I was going to say except for banking and social, but I love this. So, why what do you use audio memos for? Probably because when I get ideas, I always get them on the fly. So I never get my ideas when I sit down and block the time, but I get them on the fly. And up until recently, I've not really had a mechanism to capture them and come back to. So I do audio memos and then I transcribe it through Otter. And sometimes I can speak faster than what I can sit and type or handwrite something. Absolutely. And it's it's literally to get it out of my head so my head doesn't explode. And it could simply be sometimes things like, oh, check the swimming schedule that's just started back up again for myself sun but it's out of my head and I've got an opportunity to go back to it but it's been great for articles I've got to say every time I've had a thought on the yep. fly I'll just record my thoughts and then I'll go back and I'll craft what I need to from there so that it has been a godsend great another one what's another great app? another one that I use quite a lot of is Dropbox and I know again it's not sexy but again, I collect so much Useful. stuff. I use my phone for to gather inspiration. You know, you used to have to take pen and paper and drawing books and um, cameras and all sorts of things, things for, you know, when you're being creative. Phone has it all. And I literally capture what it is that I have to, whether it's for a client, whether it's for myself, whether it's an inspiration for something to do, whether it's a marketing concept. Anything, I capture it, however I capture it, and up to Dropbox it goes. And in fact, it, it avoids me having to send an email or to notify whoever I need to because the notifications notify whoever's working on the job. And so it's cut out all these extra processes. So I actually love Dropbox for that reason. Yeah, great. And now what about fun? Do you play on your phone for fun as well? Not a great deal, but the app that I use, well, it's just more the example. My son sees second of the day. <laughs> My son sees me using it and then he wants it himself, right? So I've had to really discipline myself. I oh, actually well use, you know, the unsexy Instagram a lot. I get yep. a lot of, um, I don't know, for me it's a bit of a, an escapism. You know, I get to yep. lose myself in Instagram. I get to lose myself in the feeds. I get to see what other people are doing. I catch up on a little bit of gossip. Sometimes there's a little bit of news. So I kind of immerse myself for fun and time out on Instagram and I see what everyone else is doing. I don't tend to play games on my phone or anything much. Right. The only other fun app that I kind of use is an app called Whiteboard, which is literally you can just doodle on it and then just wipe it all away. That's It's, you know, like a digital etch-a-sketch. So I have a lot of fun with that too. Oh, wow. Well, look, Stella, what a fantastic interview. I have loved hearing about your journey. Thank you so much. Um, now, if people want to get hold of you, what's the best way? Uh, Stella Giannotto. It's phonetic, so it's easy for me to find. No one else has got my name. LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, uh, website, brand, for brands, so yep. singular and then plural.com. 
um, and you can get in contact with me that way. But generally, social social media is probably the easiest. And, and let's just add, obviously, if they want to open a magazine, and you, the chances are they're going to find you as well if you've been published that many times. So huge congrats on that as well. And thank you so much for sharing your journey. Thank you so much. I've, I really enjoyed it. I tell you what, that time went really quick. Thank you, Jules. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she'stheboss.com.au and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode.